Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You all have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. For episode 113, episode 113, let me make sure, I believe it's episode 113, yeah, episode 113. No housekeeping today, because we're in such dire, dire times, sad, somber, dangerous, chaotic times, I decided to add a special Sunday, no advertisement episode. Not because we have any problem with the advertisement and our partners. I think everybody in the audience understands that we have to pay bills as well. We're not trying to get rich, but we're certainly trying to make uh, or build a business where we can break even and still bring you the conversations and content that you want. But some days you just got to talk, talk business. Um, and I don't mean that kind of business. So we're getting straight into it today. If you saw the last episode, I was very, very critical of uh, certain neoconservatives in, in our country, certain neoconservatives in the media that have uh, proven themselves once again to be warmongers, particularly Ben Shapiro. But, you know, it, it's not it's not really just Ben. You know, Ben Ben is a victim of his own success in, in, in my critique in that he is one of the one of the popular faces um, who has a very big audience. So when he takes a certain position. Everybody's there to see it, to be able to criticize it, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's, it's not just about Ben. I mean, and, and it, to be even more fair, it, it, uh, it's more about Lindsey Graham and, and Nikki Haley and, uh, and, and, and Crenshaw and, and some of these other rhino neocon cucks um, that, want, that want to blindly take us into an all-out uh, military, military conflict, military engagement, and potentially World War III. Uh, now, Ben Shapiro is, is a is is a is a special character in the whole deal because you know, he has this kind of way of uh, you know, talking with a with a pompous arrogance about the things he believes, and uh, many of them may sound well put together and articulate. It doesn't make them intelligent, smart, or wise. Uh, in fact, uh, this last position that he's taken on this war effort and the conflict there in Israel um, has proven him to be quite um, short-sighted, to say the very least. And I want to read you guys something to start the episode today. We're going to talk more about this Israel-Palestine conflict, and I'm sure I'm going to offend more, uh, but that's okay. You know, that's that's sometimes what needs to happen. Sometimes people need to be offended. Sometimes what is what is considered politically correct needs to be challenged in order to in order for us to find the proper or or the correct political path. Funny how that works. Um, this is an article that was released this morning from uh, for in Business Insider. And now, mind you, this is Business Insider. This isn't the National Pulse. This isn't the Epoch Times. This you know this isn't the Gateway Pundit. This is Business Insider, about as mainstream as you possibly can get. Uh, the title of the article was, It's Official, The Era of China's Global Dominance is Over. Now, the title is a little misleading because it would have you believe that China's global dominance is over. But what it goes on to explain is, in short, 
um, how China, the, the internal politics there in China, specifically as it pertains to the Chinese Communist Party, has shifted um, their, their focus from business, from, from economic rationality, is what they describe it as in the article, to political power. Um, and and more more specifically than that, advanced technology and weaponry. Um, they they are going to now um, make a radical change when it comes to policy there in China, and and as a consequence, foreign policy um, to be a much more war driven, national security driven country. And, you know, and then I'll just read you a little bit from, from, the, from the article here. Um, the first paragraph or so, it says, we've reached the end of an era of the, for the Chinese economy. For the past three decades, China has been on the upswing of a super cycle that saw an almost uninterrupted expansion of the country's capacity to manufacture, appetite to consume, and ability to project power across the world economy. The Chinese Communist Party relentlessly pursued economic development over all else. Even when the single-mindedness pushed the party to make debilitating policy mistakes, creating a massive bubble in the property market, saddling provinces, in China they have provinces, with loads of debt and failing to transition away from an over-reliance on investment. There was no time to stop for correction while China's, minds, while China's mind was on money alone. This era, this era of expansion was not only a boon for Beijing, it also helped fuel global demand. Countries relied on China's hunger for speedy modernization and industrial might to supercharge their own development. Even American companies saw China as the next great global market and made bets accordingly. They lost those bets. President Xi Jinping has shifted the CCP's raison d'etre to national security over the economy. Getting rich isn't China's biggest project anymore. The project is power. As a result, both the government's priorities and behavior have changed. In the past, whenever it seemed like a recession was on the horizon, the CCP came to the rescue. There's no hefty stimulus coming this time, nor will the explosive growth that experts once expected from China return. Beijing's relationship with the outside world is no longer guided by the principles of economic rationality, but rather is yearning for political power. And we have a quote here. This isn't about the economy anymore. It's about advanced technology and weaponry. Lee Miller, the founder of the Chinese economic surveyor, China Beige Book, told me. In response, American businesses need to consider how else Beijing's decision-making may now be flipped on its access. I'm doing a 180 now. For everyone from American farmers to pharmaceutical companies, this means shrinking demand and unstable supply chains. For policymakers, it means a China that is harder to mollify when conflict arises. For the rest of us, it's a more precarious world. Now, I start with that reading from China because all of these critics out there of myself and Steve Bannon and even Donald Trump or, or maybe Jason Whitlock or Alex Jones or anybody who they, they called a China hawk, anybody who they said, hey, you know, we got our problems here. Why are we worried about China? Our own D.C. elites are corrupt. Why are we worried about China, et cetera, et cetera. And last week I said in a clip that is now making its way around the Internet as it pertained to Ben Shapiro, hey, I'm just a basketball guy. I'm just a basketball guy who criticized the NBA for being a part of a, a morally corrupt global corporate community. Um, and, and, uh, and in effect, a, a Ponzi scheme, a financial scam, 
uh, that that has great moral hazard. Uh, and 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 for example, what we're seeing right now break out there in the Middle East is a a, a trail of money, uh, right? A, a trail of of blood money, a trail of of crony uh, capitalist transactions. Like I've said for a long time, I said it on War Room with Steve Bannon. I said it on Alex Jones. I I said it on Jason Whitlock. Uh, one belt road, one belt, one road will have a long trail of Western receipts, and and we're seeing that uh, come to fruition. They're claiming that that's coming to fruition in this Business Insider article. And and I laid it out very clear, I believe, and I, and I use the NBA as an example because, hey, I was drafted in the NBA. I had a conflict with the NBA. It was all very public, so why not reference material that's quite personal and relevant to myself? Talk about things you know personally, right? Um, but the NBA is an example of what many Western companies and institutions have become, and that's a, a financial puppet of, of the, the, the trail of money, the trail of receipts. And we've become over leveraged in the Chinese market. And the NBA is one of them, or at least they aspire to be one of them, which is strange because they actually don't need to be one of them. They just uh, voluntarily chose to be one of them. And so the NBA makes money and they send money to China and China funds Iran because, well, not only black bag money, but Iran, in fact, buys, uh, China buys a great deal of its oil from Iran, and then Iran openly, uh, you know, all but admits that they want to destroy Israel, and then they supposedly or allegedly, per Hamas, train, fund, back Hamas to attack Israel. Now Hamas attacks Israel. Everybody is at a standstill in shock and awe, and America is supposed to send her money, her taxpayer dollars, her her military equipment, her 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 time, energy, and focus, and and eventually her sons and daughters to fight a war there for Israel. My whole point in reading you the article, my whole point in, in making that, that, that connection um, this past week when referencing Ben Shapiro is we may in fact need to fight a war here in the near future. I'm not saying, look, I'm as anti-war a candidate as you're going to find running in the 2024 cycle besides Donald Trump. Um, Slow to war we should be, especially when we have chaos and disorder in our own nation. Yes, at the border, but I'm even more concerned about the chaos and disorder and the lack of morality there in D.C. from our Washington elites. Um, I think it's a very dangerous thing to go to war when you have snakes in the wire. And we certainly have snakes in the wire here in our own country. Evident in the way that our economic culture, our economic system has been over leveraged in China and made vulnerable. And right there in the article, they're saying, hey, the supply chains are going to become an issue now. If China's going towards national security instead of the old adage, and for all of you who don't understand, who, don't, who, don't, who aren't familiar with uh, geopolitics or, or um, international economic and trade culture, um, th there's a great saying that comes out of China or that has come out of China for the last three decades. It's that America's business is war. We're seeing a lot of that right now. But China's business is business. So China has fronted that their, their entire modus operandi, their raison d'etre, uh, was mostly motivated by uh, uh, the, the, the desire to grow their economy and to modernize and industrialize China. Right. So it was very business heavy. We just want to do business. We just want to make goods. We want to sell goods. We want to beat everybody when it comes to price. 
which China is the ultimate expression of a, of a Marxist ideological uh, pipe dream, right? That the, the entire global, global uh, community, for lack of a better term, no real such thing as a global community, but, but that the entire global elective uh, would, be, would be governed by a sort of uh, ideological belief around resources and, and wealth management and the, the ability to produce basic goods and essentials. And, and China has taken that, hijacked that, corrupted that, and given everybody around the world, but particularly in the West, exactly what we've allowed them to give us, which is radical materialism, a radical materialism that, that existed in our own hearts, minds, and spirit here in the West. And they've taken advantage and they've played an asymmetric war. I apologize. They've played an asymmetric war with us on that front. Now they send us fentanyl or precursors of fentanyl into Mexico that eventually make their way into your communities. I'm sure there's some out there right now. I would venture to guess there are some out there right now listening who have loved ones or know somebody who has been the victim or, or has um, had problems with, with the, the fentanyl crisis that we now face. But it's the entire drug crisis, right? And now we got Trank. Trank is an evolution of a drug that's even worse than fentanyl that they're cutting with fentanyl. So not only are we getting fentanyl, we have Trank with the fentanyl. I mean, it's just getting out of control. Uh, and and this, this is another ancient or, or historical asymmetric war that I've been cautioning towards for a long time. I think I was probably one of the first people to say on the, on the public stage or, or you know, in, in the public square that this is retribution, that the fentanyl crisis you're seeing here in America is retribution for the opium war that, that we, in effect, fought. And when I say we, a lot of people go, oh, well, the opium war was between Great Britain and China. Yes, the opium war was between Great Britain and China. And then we, we adopted Great Britain's foreign policy. We adopted the, the remnants of, of Great Britain's colonial empire. And so China views us in Great Britain as one which in some cases they are right to do because the American people have not yet gotten wise enough to divorce ourselves from Atlantis's political ideology and philosophy. Many of our political elites still have that allegiance to Europe. Follow the money. Follow the money. Why would we go into a war blind when, in fact, we have not, we have not plugged the leak in our own foreign policy that empowers and enables corrupt regimes, uh, enemy regimes like the CCP in China to give us all these problems on the world stage. And when you look at it from that vantage point, you start to ask yourself, or, you sh- or at least you should ask yourself when, when thinking about these, these, um, these very serious issues, um, is it that our elites were ignorant and, 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 and over-leveraging the American, uh, the American prosperity, the, the America's economic health, uh, America's uh, national security uh, in, in a Chinese market? Is it that they were ignorant or were they in on it? Now, only spend a little bit of time on that, on that, on that pondering. Only ponder that for a moment because in reality, it doesn't matter whether they were ignorant or in on it. The, the net result is the same. And the result is just as the business insider laid it out. China now is going to take the drastic shift that many of us China hawks, quote unquote, were warning about. And, and you're going to see uh, a, a new sort of economic trade war 
begin with the West and in particular America. A trade war where the price of goods, the, 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 the supply chains, especially around farming and pharmaceuticals, okay, the basic essentials, the basic goods, the basic needs are going to become a, 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 an intersection of, uh, of, international, of international conflict and international tension. Follow the money. And if there's one thing I'll say, and I, and I want to say this in all seriousness, if there's one area where the accounting uh, is, is razor sharp and precise, um, it's, it's, it's on the trail of money, right? Um, it, oftentimes when people have poor accounting, usually they are um, doing a bad job of accounting intentionally to skim money, right? I mean, we see that when books are cooked, uh, when, 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 when books are um, not showing certain, uh, <laughs> certain uh, information, a lot of the times you'll find uh, an opportunistic predator that is, that is using that blind spot to create some other sort of financial scam. Uh, and certainly when we talk about China and whether people were in on it or ignorant to it, We'd be foolish not to look at the, 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 the non-debatable existence of, of, of trails of receipts to Western elites, American elites, D.C. elites, who actually get a black bag of money from China on the books. Our current president, commander-in-chief, being one of them. I mean, the receipts are there. He took money from China. Your money. Your money that went to your money that went to certain essential supply chains and, 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 and designated budget items that got sent to the CCP and somebody gets a kickback. Now, you decide whether it was intentional or, 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 or ignorance. I'll let you decide. I don't need much time to know, and I don't need a smoking gun. The net result is the same. The net result is we are over leveraged with China, and now China is going to continue to play an asymmetric war with us where they fund enemies of ours like Iran openly, unabashedly, brazenly, uh, and continue to watch the, 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 the West, uh, our American elites, but all throughout the West and Europe, kneel at the throne. So we know China's a problem. China's a big problem, and now we want to go to war in a situation there in the Middle East where it's very hard to tell who's backing who. But we know that a certain alliance exists between Russia and China and Iran. And it was, it was a, uh, I, I believe it was a great ambition of Donald Trump and, and his administration to try and pull Russia away from that alliance with, with China. Um, that was a, a lot of what the neocon, neoliberal, mainstream media industrial complex ran straight into the ground. And they're still working on it today. In fact, you could argue that the entire, I mean, this is how deep it gets. This is how ugly and dark it gets. Under Donald Trump, the, 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 the relationship between Russia and America was, was improving, to say the least. And, and um, the mainstream media fenced that as some type of corrupt and shady deal between Vladimir Putin or Russia and, and Donald Trump taking a payoff or, or a payout. 
But if you go well before Donald Trump, you can hear the anti-Russian rhetoric from a bunch of anti-Russian Atlanticist American and Western elites that had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Donald Trump hadn't even thought about taking a piss in the political arena as long back and as far back as this anti-Russian sentiment goes. This this goes all the way back to Henry Kissinger and 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 Zygmunt Brzezinski, uh, you know, Morning Mika's dad, Mika Brzezinski, Morning Mika from MB, MSNBC, and and her her husband, her uh, uh you know, um, uh, disgraced disgraced spouse, Cuck Joe. Um, this goes all the way. This goes well, well before Donald Trump ever thought about politics, ever thought about a presidential. I don't know how far back he's been thinking about a presidential run, but before it was of consequence, before he threw his hat into the arena and he started to actually take the steps to run as a candidate. This anti-Russian sentiment here in America and in the West and in the liberal, the neocon, neoliberal, post-World War II uh, order is, is very old. And so effectively, the way to double down, triple down, and, and, and step on any potential uh, coming together with, with Russia and, and America uh, was, was provoked, was ruined, was sabotaged as they continue to push NATO weapons closer and closer to Russia's border. Sabotaged. They, they sabotaged it. Right. And, and it was in our national interest. We have more we have more in common with Russia, or at least we were trying to find a common ground with Russia than Russia does with China. Now, we know they have their communist history, that communist ideology there in Russia that also made its way through Europe. Let's not be mistaken about that, which we'll revisit later. Um, but but that communist ideology is something that Russia had all but publicly denounced. And Russia's saying, hey, I think in Vladimir Putin, when this whole Ukraine war popped off, um, he went before the Russian people, the Russian leaders. If you remember that, that you know, press conference or that, that speech that he gave that was covered worldwide, he, he basically said, look, we made, a, we made a huge mistake with communism. We made a huge, huge mistake with communism. He, he has begun to see that communism was not a, a political fight about the the management of wealth and resources. It was a spiritual and 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 ideological fight about a secular society versus a, an anti secular society. A secular society versus a, a faithful society. It was a rejection of Christianity. It was a rejection of Judaism. It was a rejection of of faith in God writ large. And that was the and that was the start of uh, I mean that that was the the founding belief that informed Marxism. Karl Marx was a German, was a German Jew whose father came from a long line of rabbis, and he his his a long line of rabbis. His grandfather was a rabbi. His dad rejected uh, the 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 rabbinical uh, identity which they will say in history out of necessity because the Jews had become persecuted there in, 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 in Europe and in Germany already. It wasn't safe to say you were a Jew on, on general basis. And so Karl Marx rejected his, uh, you know, his, his, his bloodlines, faith practice altogether. And Marxism is explicitly secular. 
I mean, anybody who tries to tell you that 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 you can be a, a God fearing communist or a faithful communist or Marxist is just lying to you. I mean, they're just pissing on you and, and, and telling you it's champagne. The two are incompatible. And while we're talking about Karl Marx, I think it's important right here to to leave that conversation where it is. Our our Russia America alliance was all but sabotaged, and now we have pushed Russia back into the arms of China in this this asymmetric war between two global superpowers. Um, and then let's just leave a pin in that. Where are we right now? We're on the brink of world war, right? And I want to say here, again, my thoughts, and I think it's important to say this every time because people like to twist um, twist the words of those who are trying to tell the truth, a, a tough truth, an uncomfortable truth, an uncomfortable topic to even discuss and deal with. My thoughts and prayers are with the people there in Israel that were affected by Hamas's attack. My thoughts and prayers are with the people in Palestine who are now suffering the, the airstrikes and, and the other counterattacks from, from Israel. My thoughts and prayers are with everybody in the region who are going to be affected by, by the chaos, disorder, and, and violence. My thoughts and prayers are with all the people all around the world who are affected by the, the asymmetric warfare and, in some cases, the all-out blatant kinetic warfare uh, that is taking place at the, at the behest of kings and kingmakers and, and political elites. My thoughts and prayers are with those who are affected by things and circumstances that are unnecessary. And I'm not saying that war is always unnecessary, but I am saying that this particular war, this particular war has some very, very, uh, strange circumstances, strange, strange circumstances, strange timing all around the board. And look, I was the guy who said free the Uyghurs. And I said the other day on the podcast, look, Muslims don't scare me. I have friends who are Muslim, friends and family who are Muslim, people who I love, people who I consider family. I have friends and loved ones who are Jews. I grew up here in the Hopkins School District. I went to Hopkins, which is one of the most Jewish school districts in the entire state of Minnesota after St. Louis Park School District. Um, so I remember going to Shabbat on, on Thursday, uh, you know, in high school with, with some of my Jewish high school classmates and, and, and their families. And, and the Jewish people have a beautiful tradition, a, a beautiful, uh, the, the, the faithful Jews who practice the faith and practice the tradition have a beautiful tradition. The great Professor Penn comes from one of those faithful Jewish traditions. And we're probably going to have him on the podcast either Monday or Tuesday. So stay tuned because he was much ra- more radical than I was in his podcast this week. And if you want to hear it straight from someone's mouth who comes from that culture, who has that cultural identity, who has that historical family faith tradition, um, please go subscribe to the Professor Penn podcast and listen to him in the last few days talk about um, his view of of this conflict and this war. It wasn't pro-Palestine, but I'm t- I'll tell you this, he was very critical of Zionism I- in general. And I say that, and I, I kind of preface where I'm going now with, with that piece, because um, it's a fact. It, it's just a fact that the early, the, the early um, 
thought leaders, the, the, the intellectual forebears of the Zionist movement were heavily influenced by Karl Marx and, and, and Hegel. Um, you can, I mean, you can go right into their, I mean, you can go right into the, the accepted mainstream narrative about the inception of Zionism and, and that entire ideology, and you can see that nobody is hiding uh, the, the, the fact that there was great, great synergy and influence in both directions between uh, Zionism, the, the Zionist movement, and the, the Marxists, and, and, and what would eventually become the communist movement. Um, many people who became Zionists or who were the forefathers of Zionism uh, were impacted, documented the, the influence and impact from intellectual thought leaders like Karl Marx and Hegel of the time. So Zionism, and you know, I mean, it's hard to even talk about this at this time without seeming insensitive. We're trying to politicize this, this latest conflict between Israel and Palestine, but how could you not talk about it in political terms? It is a, an, an almost explicitly political matter. Um, and, and the strange thing about this matter is we live in a, in a postmodern secular society for the most part, but many of your would-be elites and, 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 and thought leaders try and fence this as a holy war. And there is that element to it, but make no mistake about it, it's still political. And it's strange that in most cases where everybody wants to keep the conversation secular, want to accept that in this one particular geopolitical crisis, it's just holy. It's nothing political about it. It's very political. I, I beg to differ, respectfully. I beg to differ. This is a very political matter. And the, the politics of it go right back to the inception of Israel. You know, my daughter and, and my son, we, <clears throat> we kept home from school on Friday um, simply because, hey, our schools are left un, 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 unsecure. Our, our children are left uh, defenseless with, with their woke liberal teachers who, who couldn't fight off uh, anything, much less uh, somebody who is you know, ideologically driven and wants to, wants to exact harm and chaos for whatever reason they choose. Um, our, our children are left all but defenseless at their schools for the most part around the country. And, you know, if, if there was going to be a day designated by the Muslim Brotherhood or the Muslim world to exact vengeance on, on America, by extension, or the Jewish people, um, we certainly weren't going to let our children be uh, a victim of such circumstance. Partly because, I mean, I don't really believe anything they're teaching at the woke school is that important anyway. Not to risk that, I'll tell you that much. So we kept our children home, and, and you know, they were very concerned with why they were staying, why they were, you know, not going to school that day. And they started to ask questions, and, you know, when the adults are talking and, and, and they start to, to, um, concern themselves with, you know, with, the, with the conversation. Um, you know, children become worried. I remember when 9-11 happened, uh, I was already a, kind of a step ahead when it came to world politics because my, my mother exposed me to such things. And my grandmother, too, and, and, and my grandfather. I was fortunate to come up in a family where, although we were blue-collar, they were blue-collar working-class people, they were uh, very interested in, in in politics and world affairs, so I was always um, 
hearing conversations about and, and asking questions myself at a young age. And when 9-11 happened, I had an understanding of the conflict that had been ongoing there in the Middle East and, and uh, the, the tension between the West and, and certain radical Muslims or, or their, their fight there in Israel and, and so on and so forth. Um, so I remember asking similar questions when, when, that, when that took place. And I'm not here to, to create any false equivalencies between America's 9-11 and, and Israel's latest attack like many in the mainstream media are doing, especially Nikki Haley. And when they're doing that, it, 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 um, my natural instinct is to reject it on face value. And we'll talk more about that. But anyway, so we kept our kids home. We kept the kids home from school. And my daughter, you know, got a preliminary history lesson on what took place. And I used a few videos to kind of give her that baseline material and, and help her understand where in the world we're talking about. And, and one of the programs showed the early map, the 1948 map, uh, after the UN had, had sort of put their hands on the matter. And she asked me a very basic question that made me, you know, kind of chuckle inside, but, but in all seriousness, seriousness, think to myself, this is political. And quite frankly, it's not so complicated. Um, I mean, it's complicated as all world affairs and, and political crisis can be. But when you go right back and look at that map in 1948, you can see that there was a conscious decision made to, to mix the territories between the Arab state and, and the Jewish state. And my daughter simply asked, why would they mix the territories up like that? Why didn't they just put this group of people here and this group of people there? And I told her about Jerusalem being an international and holy site. And she said, well, why didn't they just make the international holy site, you know, a kind of a kind of shared territory between the two of them instead of smack dab in the middle of the Arab state? And I think that's a rightful question for us to ask at this point, right? I mean, when we go back and we look at the earliest map of how these two places were split up, it seems a little conflict, a little conflict inviting to put Jerusalem, the three, the three religion holy sites smack dab in the middle of the Arab territory. Don't you think? I think so. My 10-year-old my daughter seemed to be able to figure that out. And you can come up with all the excuses as to why. I mean, the land of milk and honey, this territory was more farmable than that territory, and these people were already here, and they wanted this and that and blah, blah, blah. Kiwi Bono, who benefits? And all I see is a Great Britain, uh, a Great Britain who was leaving the area, and they thought to themselves, hey, you know, just for the fun of it, you know, let's leave them divided. Let's leave them divided so they're easier to conquer. One theory, one theory is that this whole thing could have been somewhat avoided, could have, been, could have been much easier to manage, could have been much easier to handle had the initial inception of Israel been thought out from a geographical standpoint. But we are where we are. Hey, who am I? Who am I to say? What I will say is, is this. We're so unfortunate. We are so unfortunate. Sad, somber times ahead. Death, war, violence, arrogance, ignorance, hatred. All being paraded around. All being paraded on the main stage under the spotlight. Being brought to the podium. 
with people making the claim that these things in some ways are necessary. Whether it's the tension between Christians and Muslims or, or Christians and Jews or, or Jews and Muslims or the West and the Arab world or, or Europe and, and Russia or, or America and China or so on and so forth. That there's really no way about, there's really no way around violence. There's really no way around hatred. It, it's kind of it's emergent quality of, of man's imperfection, of mankind's imperfection. And I call bullshit. I mean, I call bullshit from the very start. I think that men, certain men, certain groups of elite, powerful men with a lot of time on their hands find it very advantageous to keep people divided so they're much easier to conquer. And that's why the episode for today is war. Who benefits? War. Who benefits? QE Bono. Who benefits here? Last, last week I said, you know, that, that evil, you know, wicked, evil spiritedness isn't always direct. It isn't always one-to-one. Sometimes creating the, the circumstance for mutually assured destruction is the way that evil likes to work. And we've certainly created that now. If we didn't already have it brewing and growing in, in, the, in the war conflict between Russia and Europe there in Euro- Ukraine or, or the, the impending war and, and conflict there between China and America and the surrounding uh, more Western-friendly uh, Asian, Asian countries such as Japan, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, we had to pull the, the, the number one, the number one geopolitical hotspot into the equation. And now people are losing their fucking minds. They're losing it. People are fucking losing it. There is no, that all reason, all rationale, all, all, the res, all resemblance of restraint, of, of mercy, of, of forgiveness, are, are thrown out the window, which is why you should be slow to war. And nobody's condoning what Hamas has done. And the very, the very suggestion that calling into question the overall circumstance of this conflict somehow means or is equivalent to, to condoning what Hamas has done or condoning terrorism or, or uh, you know, radical Islam is a bullshit story. And all you got to do is look at the people who are pushing the bullshit story. And you can tell it's a bullshit story. I mean, give me a break. F- fuck Nikki Haley. Fuck Lindsey Graham. Fuck Crenshaw. These neocon cuck, fuck these people. They want you to believe this is a, this is a one-sided, easy to, easy to understand holy war between people and a, and, a, and a radical faith that want to kill every last one of us. White lies, black truth. Sometimes the truth is told with malicious intent. And yes, there are very dangerous, very pernicious, very violent provoking ideologies in the Muslim in the Muslim faith. Nobody would doubt that. Nobody would argue that. Even those who practice the Muslim faith on the world stage have have had their own criticisms 
of the radical element of Islam. And in the element that sort of breeds the ground for this Islamic terrorism. But don't act like Israel's innocent. Don't think that you can spit, spit in my face like I'm an idiot and tell me that Israel is innocent. Or tell me that the West is innocent. Or tell me that Europe is innocent. Whose war is this? This is not America's fight. We adopted Great Britain's foreign policy. We adopted the protectorate, the protectorism over Europe. We adopted uh, the position of, of, of power being the captain of the ship in the NATO alliance. We adopted that. This is not our war. And don't let any of these neocons or these rhinos try and tell you this is our war based on some, some holy alliance that any other day they pay no service to. This is a war now because we're Christian, and in the Bible it says we must show love for Israel. We must give love to Israel. And it's the same, it's the same argument that was made as a political strategy, as a propaganda tool, with the inception of Zionism. You had a bunch of people who used the Jewish identity, who used the Jewish faith, who used God, who used the name of God to lay a claim to a land where they had completely rejected the idea of God itself. And that is what happened. And it, it's, it's not a hidden history. It's a history that we can we can be canceled for, we can be criticized for, we can be, uh, uh, you know, we can be described as sympathizers with a radical Islamic cause for mentioning, but it's not a history that's hidden. The forefathers of the Zionist movement didn't believe in God. They knew that, that using God as the basis of their claim for that land would make the West, America, sympathetic to that cause because at the time we were a much more Christian nation. At the time, we were a much more Christian nation, a Christianity that has all but fallen by the wayside at the hands of many of these uniparty elites that now want to promote the war today, QE Bono, who benefits. And when you take the Lord's name in vain, when you use the Lord's name to perpetuate violence and chaos and, 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 and piracy and, and drugs and slavery, there is a moral price to pay. It's just now the people who seem to be leading that effort uh, are, are lining us up to pay that moral cost on purpose. Nobody's innocent in this. Nobody's innocent. And I love that Alex Jones had the balls to say, hey, listen, nobody condemns, nobody condones what Hamas did. We all can cond condemn uh, the, the, the terrorist attacks and violence that, that's waged on innocent people in the name of anything, any cause. Because there's, there's a thing that, that most decent people understand uh, called sacred honor. I don't care what your rebellious cause is. I, I don't care what, what you say about your oppressor. If I'm living on the slave plantation before the abolishment of slavery, and I want to lead a mutiny against the slave owner in the slave plantation. Do I kill the slave owner, the slave master? Maybe. Do I kill his henchman? Maybe. 
Do I kill unarmed women and children? Well, I can. Yeah, for sure. You can make that choice. But at the very moment you make that choice, you kind of wound your own soul. You wound your own spirit in the process. The circumstance of mutually assured destruction, not only physically, but spiritually. Mutually assured destruction, not only physically, but spiritually. And I said this a week ago, how are they going to defeat Hamas? Tell me the plan. Oh, we can all agree that Hamas should be fought and defeated. Fine. But tell me the plan. If the plan, if the plan, if the plan is to turn Gaza into a parking lot and bomb as many innocent people as you need to to send a message to Hamas, that would rightfully be seen as a war crime. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When the Israeli, when the Israeli government is telling people in, in, in Gaza, hospitals with little baby, with little infants who are on life support, that they need to evacuate the hospital anyway. I mean, imagine. Imagine, and I get it. There are holy wars, there are righteous wars, there are divine wars, and, and everybody in our postmodern uh, anti-war, quote-unquote anti-war, anti-war global culture seems to have this weak stomach for the prospect of war. And we're quick to get involved in business and, and other dealings that would have us, you know, have us down a violent path without really thinking it through. Oh, I get that. And when the time comes and you haven't thought through that, that end result of your choices and the shit seems extreme, I get that sometimes that's a sacrifice many people are going to have to become comfortable with. Not a circumstance that's unrelated to what American citizens may have to choose here shortly or all of us around the world when world war is on the table. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Imagine how fucked up you have to be. Imagine how fucked up you have to be to tell a hospital in enemy territory that has proof, that has proof, proof, video and images of, of little children on life support, young, young babies that are just, you know, just born, born with defects or whatever the case, whatever the case may be, on life support. And you tell the, the, the hospital workers, you tell the doctors there, you tell the, the parents there that they still need to evacuate and what? Leave the children? Pull the children from life support? Kill the children? I mean, this is the type of moral hazard, this is the type of moral culpability that can only be laid at the feet of a metaphysical spirit, an evil metaphysical spirit, a wicked metaphysical spirit that would love nothing else than to create the circumstance of mutually assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. Your life will be lost but spirits will be damned in the process as well. Moral hazard. It's not just a financial term. It's a social, cultural, and political term. Why didn't we stop giving money to China a long time ago? 
Why didn't we stop doing deals with Iran a long time ago if we knew they were such a such a huge threat, such a huge ideological opposition? I'll tell you why. Our intellectual elites, our architects of the post-World War II democratic liberal order wanted us to believe that globalization was the remedy to ideological and spiritual differences. And for a long time, that played out. For a long time, it paid dividends. Because as much as the Muslim world wants to pretend like they have this allegiance, this, this fealty to their faith, we have watched Muslim leaders from Muslim countries sell their own brothers and sisters, their own Muslim brothers and sisters out at every turn for a taste of Western modernity, for a taste of Western money. We've watched it. The Saudis, the Qataris, the UAE, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, pick one, pick a place. In some cases, Iran. Now, Iran, out of everybody, has been the more hardline you know, extreme, uh, you know, extreme religious state. And their whole deal is they want control of Mecca and Medina. They think that what the Saudis have done, what the Saudis have created, what the Saudis have sold out to there in Saudi Arabia is a blaspheme against, against the faith. At least that's what they'll claim. At least that's what they'll use as a rally point for their cause. And they're not alone in that. Don't forget, you got the Turks up there. You got the Turks a little bit to the northwest. The Ottoman Empire, Erdogan, they want control of Mecca and Medina too. They think the holy sites are a place that have been, been you know, would, would be much better under the Ottoman rule. So you do have a sort of, you have an internal spiritual fight going on or spiritual war going on between the Muslim, between the Muslim factions, between uh, Muslim faiths or, or variations of, of the Muslim tradition, Sunni, Shiite, nationality, ethnicity, Saudi, Persian, Ottoman, Turk. The Palestinians, they have their own culture. The Egyptians, and I told you all the other day, you have, to, you have to understand your history about some of these cultures. Some of these cultures don't view themselves as Arab or Muslim. Some of these cultures view themselves as their own race. They are the big, they, they, there is no affiliation. They're their own country. They're their own player. The Egyptians, they view themselves as Egyptians. They have one of the oldest civilizations in the world. One of the oldest civilizations known to mankind. And they carry that, that air of superiority about them, especially as it pertains to other people in the region who share their Muslim faith, the Palestinians being one of them. Don't let the Egyptians tell you that they're not opening up Egypt to the Palestinians because they're trying to force Israel to send aid like they're the altruistic player in the deal. The Egyptians don't want the Palestinians because when push comes to shove, they only care about Muslim faith to a certain extent, the Egyptians view themselves as their own race. The Turks view themselves as their own race, a remnant of an Ottoman Empire that, that was as great as any in, in, in human history. The Persians. The Persians have been at war with the, rest, the, the West. The Persians have been at war with the West since the times of the Greeks. And then it was the Romans. The Persians view themselves as their own race. I mean, let's stop calling it Iran. Let's call it what it is. It's Persia. 
They're Persians. And they carry that air of superiority about them. And then the Saudis. The Saudis, the, the Arabs, the, the real Arabs, they carry that air of superiority about them. And this region right here is so conflicted. There's so much history. There's so much baked in bad blood on so many sides. Kiwi Bono, who benefits by lighting the match? That's all I ask. That's all I ask you to ponder. Who benefits from this? And the main question you should ask yourself is, do you benefit? Do you benefit from this war, from this exploding into a world war or a, or a multi-regional war there on the Eurasian landmass? Do you benefit? Do you, the American citizens, benefit? Do you, the American ben uh, citizens, uh, do anything in this war or get anything out of this war but a bunch of uh, bills, but a bunch of debt, a bunch of IOUs from a bunch of people who may never pay? Who benefits? Tell me. Ask yourself right now. I mean, you can talk about it being a holy war and the Muslims are coming, the Muslims are coming, or whatever. Who benefits from the war? And even if you want to say that you're going to eradicate uh, you know, Islamic terrorism, we've been down that road before and we did not eradicate Islamic terrorism. Much more difficult task than we've promoted it as. But yet the military can fly their B-2 bombers over, over Palestine, over Israel, show a force. Show a force. Now we, got the, now we got the circumstance we need to justify while your uniparty, while your uniparty D.C. elites are going to come together to make sure that they can purchase 200 B-2-1 Raiders, the new version of the B-2 bomber that's currently in production. Some of our D.C. elites say we need 100. Some of our D.C. elites say we need 200 at $500 million apiece. Hey, a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars just for the just for the B-2-1 Raider fleet. And man, that thing looks menacing. I mean, you talk about a death machine and part of, you know, part of your American citizenship, part of that American pride, part of part of being in the West, being here in, 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 in America um, gives you this sense of gives you this sense of, of security. I saw a lot of memes. I saw a lot of videos saying or, or you know, kind of jokingly, um, uh, you know, mentioning that that uh, Hamas or the Middle East or, or radical Muslims are going to find out why Americans don't have free health care. As the B-2 bombers can be seen flying in the sky. Well. Number one, that's not why we don't have free health care. Number two, um, yes, yes, we can play the patriotic music. We, we can continue to allow the neocon rhino establishment, the, the, the neocon neoliberal uniparty D.C. establishment to parade American patriotism around as a justification to superfund the military industrial complex. Absolutely. But what about when the B-2 bomber is going to be flying over our own homeland because the Patriot Act will eventually get so wide in its tentacles that it uses MAGA supporters or Donald Trump supporters or America First supporters or Christians 
or vaccine deniers to justify martial law here. I told you the three things that they're going to make you beg for. Plague, disease, viruses will make you beg for vaccines. Economic depression, economic crisis, inflation is going to make you beg for a universal basic income. Chaos, violence, and war is going to make you beg for martial law. And it's coming. It's come. Matter of fact, it's here now. You're seeing it right there in the Middle East. You're seeing it right there between Israel and Palestine. Not condoning Hamas. Not condoning radical Islam. I'm asking the question, what are we going to actually do here? Because throwing ourselves at radical Islam has not worked thus far. It at, le at least it hasn't gotten the results that we say we wanted going into the thing, whether it was Iraq the first time with Desert Storm, whether it was Iraq the second time with weapons of mass destruction, whether it was Afghanistan, where we go to find bin Laden, but we end up dominating the poppy trade. Nobody wanted to mention that. Right. Everybody fails to to talk about that inconvenient history now that we're on the brink of another war march into the same region. The poppy, poppy trade exploded. Woo, America getting poppy, poppy by the pound for dirt cheap, right? Feeding the beast, feeding the high, getting people high, feeding the pharmaceutical industry. That China now is going to pinch because while we took the poppy, we still had the manufacturing there in China. We didn't even have the decency to pay the American citizen back by bringing the manufacturing of those pharmaceutical goods here from our piracy war march. We sold the American people out on a moral basis to go into the war, then took the poppy trade, and then we sold them out a second time to give it to China. And then, to cap the whole deal off, we leave, we leave Afghanistan in, in a disgraceful, despicable, disastrous exit and leave the poppy back to the Chinese or the Taliban who's going to, you know, they'll sell out to the highest bidder um, and, and $90 billion worth of military equipment that probably will make its way to the front lines of Iran or, or, or uh, Syria or, or Palestine or wherever. I mean, you got to ask yourself, how do they get weapons into Gaza? I mean, you know, if our southern border is hard to defend, I kind of get it. I mean, I don't think it's as hard to defend as they make it seem, but I get it. America's border is huge. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big border. You got the Atlantic coast. You got all of Canada. I mean, they used to run bootleg and molasses and things like that from Canada. There was, there was, there was smuggling through Canada. You got the Pacific coast, the Pacific port. You got the, 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 the Texas border, the southern border, which is obviously the biggest, uh, the biggest crisis that we're seeing right now where people are just flooding through uh, uninterrupted. But the American border is, is hard, to, hard to patrol, right? How hard is it to patrol the border there in Gaza? How is Hamas getting these weapons? And again, I mean, 
you have to ask the basic fundamental question if you're going to go on a war march. What are we trying to accomplish? And what has been the effectiveness in accomplishing that goal thus far? And I'm not saying that the, the, the final answer is, well, we're not going to do anything because we haven't had success. That would be a, that would be a, a, a non sequitur too. I'm not saying we don't do anything, but let's take a moment and figure out what we should actually do. What, what, what actually moves the, the needle? And my caution back about the American, the American culture and the American D.C. elite, the, the, the crony capitalist D.C. elite, who, who drape themselves in the flag anytime it's any, any, any and every time it comes time to, to pay the military industrial complex. Well, everybody likes war all over the world when, when America has the football in their hands. You know, there's an old saying in the neighborhood, ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. Ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. And we all sort of like to like to view, uh, you know, Northrop Grumman or or Raytheon or Boeing or Lockheed Martin as these these patriotic military industrial complex manufacturers and contractors. Yeah, yeah, their fealty and allegiances to America as long as America has the football. But in a post-American dominance, in a post-American society, global society, where America is on the decline or the bottom falls out, you'll see how quick the military industrial complex's allegiance shift. These people aren't patriots. The people there at Raytheon, they're not patriots. The people there at Lockheed Martin, they're not patriots. They're mercenaries. They're mercenaries for hire. Prove me wrong. Now, am I saying there's not a patriotic person amongst them? No, I'm not saying that, right? We, we don't talk in, in absolutes like that on this show. But I'm saying my opinion, my, my feel of the military-industrial complex manufacturers and contractors, such as Boeing and Lockheed Martin, is the level of weaponry and technology that they hold in a post-America uh, uh, dominance on the world stage your head's going to spin when you see how fast their allegiance and fealty changes. What are we talking about here? What are we talking about? So Hamas tax, attacks Israel, and now Israel kills uh, 70 women and children. Now the number's up to 3,500, estim- estimated 3,500 Palestinians. Are, 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 have been killed in the counter-airstrikes? Is this a pathway to peace? We got neocon rhino cuck motherfuckers saying stupid shit like a war to end all wars. What the, what the, this isn't Middle Earth. This isn't fucking Lord of the Rings. You know? What 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 the fuck what what the fuck are we talking about here? A war to end all wars. The only war that will end all wars is a nuclear war. The only war with the potential to end all wars is a nuclear war. There ain't no war. There ain't no ground war. There ain't no 
There ain't no airstrike. There ain't no bomb run. There ain't no door-to-door ground uh, invasion that's going to end a war for good. Again, I say, when, when push comes to shove, what are they really saying here? And, and don't get me wrong here. I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll say it right now. Those of you out there who say Israel is illegitimate on a political basis, sure, you can say that, but the reality is that Israel fought a war, a three-front war, for a disputed territory. That's the truth. They were given that land by the crown with a, with a very strange UN agreement United Nations Agreement, and they had to fight a war for that territory. And don't forget, in the beginning, they were still fighting Great Britain. The Jews were not only fighting the Arabs, they were fighting Great Britain in that area still until Great Britain decided to pull out completely. And they fought a war again against three invading nations. This was the Yom Kippur War. Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, they all attacked Israel on the same day. Israel won that war. When you come to a place and that place is disputed by two men and those two men have a duel to the death and one man, one man is left standing, I guess that man gets to claim that land, doesn't he? Old, old human rules, right? Since the ancient times, (laughs) there's a bone there on the ground, and we both say it's our bone, and we're going to fight to the death. If there's a carcass there and two lions want that carcass, and they're going to fight to the death, either one lion's going to submit or one lion's going to end up dead, and I guess that carcass belongs to the other lion at that point. And that's what happened to Israel. So it's my, my opinion that Israel's legitimacy rests upon it winning that war. Now, people will counter that and say, but they couldn't have won the war without Western resources or support. Absolutely. I mean, you can make that claim. You can make that claim. Fine. And you could also make the claim that now what goes around comes around, and the, the, the Arab world or the, the Muslim world, even if they've coalesced under false premises, are now going to rise up in exact revenge upon what they view as a Western incursion of their territory. That certainly seems like what we're dealing with now, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All can be true. What are we going to do here in America? Who does it benefit? How does it benefit us? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. What I'm not going to do is let the Uniparty D.C. elite tell me that dissidents within the House dissidents within the United States Congress, dissidents there in D.C., the political minority such as Matt Gates and the other seven need to be weeded out by a change of rules, by a change of rules that allow the Uniparty to come together and do their warmonger business. And that's exactly what's about to happen. Despite the tragedy and violence and chaos and death there in the Middle East, what's about to happen here in America that directly affects your interests as a citizen is the Uniparty is going to use the Jews. They're going to use Israel. They're going to use the conflict in general on either side to justify exacting more power 
here in America to take more of your rights. They're about to change the rules so that a Matt Gates and a minority, a, a, a few dissidents to the mainstream narrative, to the corrupt status quo, can't use the power of the minority to disrupt the flow of money and corruption in Washington, D.C. That's what's about to happen. And they're going to use the Jews to do it. They're going to use Israel to do it. They're going to use your your sympathy and weak stomach for violence and death to do it. And I'm not saying you should have apathy towards violence and death and chaos. I'm not saying you should be indifferent about the conflict between Palestine and Israel. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an emotional emotional, uh, uh, attachment to one side or the other, to your faith, to your tradition, to your clan, to your ethnicity, to your history to your ancestors. I'm not saying any of that, but let's be cautious about what's happening right here today in our own backyard on the back of such a conflict. That's what we need to be watching with a very close eye. You know, when Hakeem Jeffries, when Hakeem Jeffries says that he and his colleagues are willing to work with the non-extreme Republicans to create a circumstance there in, in D.C. that would allow them to support our allies, Ukraine, Israel, all over the world, and do the government's business, I am immediately, immediately aware that this is our Nazi moment. This is Nazi Germany moment. This is the, this is the Nazi moment here in America. It really is. This is our Nazi moment. And if you don't understand that, then you don't know anything about Nazism. You've let Mika Brzezinski and and Cuck Joe tell you what Nazism was about. You've let the History Channel tell you what Nazism was about. You've let your your Marxist historians from the the academia world or the university tell you about Nazism. But who were the Nazis? The Nazis were the upper middle class, the upper middle working class that became the bourgeois elite that took control of the political apparatus and then they made any political opposition illegal and then they secured their rule, their political rule, by creating a police state. It's exactly what we have here in America. That's exactly what's coming here in America. And when, it, when, it, when it's finished, when it's done here in America, they won't need to false flag and create any wars that feed the military-industrial complex. No, they'll be well beyond that. They'll be well beyond that form of brutality. And that's how they really want it. That's what the transhumanism is about. It's the softer, kinder, I can't really deal with my psychopathic guilt way to enslave people. Uh, we don't want to have to kill them all. Let's, let's, let's just get them high so nobody's really watching. So we don't have to deal with the shame of looking other human beings in the eye and telling them that we did this for a humanitarian reason. It's this whole climate change racket. I mean, if we really wanted to stop this crisis right here, right now, people keep asking me, well, what's your solution? Are you just going to let the Muslims run wild? Are you going to let the Muslims just have their way in the Middle East? 
with all of our friends and allies. They're not going to stop. They won't quit. They won't stop. They're, 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 you know, they're committed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. They have shown they have some commitment, but I've also seen a bunch of Arab and Muslim leaders sell their people out for the right price. And I also know that if America would pump oil, if America would simply pump oil, pump oil and stop buying goods from the Chinese, we would cut off one significant pathway or corridor for this asymmetric war that we now find ourselves in. But the Gaia freaks, the, the, the Mother Earth freaks, the Save the Planet Climate Change freaks are running a political Ponzi scheme and cultural scam to tell you that the planet is facing imminent danger, but the same motherfuckers are going to take you into a nuclear war? Are you fucking kidding me? The same climate change advocates, the same, the same uh, Save the Planet advocates, the Greta Thunbergs of the world, the Al Gores of the world are flying around on private fucking jets, staying in the Swiss Alps, telling you that the planet is on the brink of destruction because you drive in an American muscle car or a Ford pickup truck, that, that, that the planet is, is facing imminent danger, but they're all in for a nuclear war. Oh, fuck you people. I, I just can't, I can't even believe people believe this shit. Am I saying that there's not a problem with the climate? No, I'm not saying that. I'm, am I saying there's not a problem with the environment? I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is the way that the narrative is being used to handicap America in a geopolitical jump ball and asymmetric war with China is quite significant. The entire rest of the world is going to stay on oil. The entire rest of the world is going to stay on, on, on oil-driven energy, and America is going to become the altruistic player that basically handicaps us, deindustrializes us in a modern global war? Give me a fucking break. Pump the oil. Pump the oil. And another thing, evacuate the Jews. How about we have a how about we have a great migration of Jews to America? Where where the fuck is Europe in this whole deal? I mean, where where is Europe? Honest to God, where is Europe in, in the whole deal? See, what they don't want to talk about, once again, is I take you back to Donald Sterling, right? And that whole controversy, which has been swept under the rug and, and never to be mentioned again in the mainstream media, because remember, Adam Silver and David Stern banned Donald Sterling because, you know, his racist ideology was just a, a bit too distasteful for the NBA community. And it's not, a, it's not unironic that I started off making the connection from the global to the local with the NBA at the beginning of this podcast, and now I'm going to make another NBA reference that's quite culturally significant. Remember Donald Sterling said in Israel, the black Jews are treated like dogs. That the black Jews were 50% less than the white Jews. And I don't mean to make it racial, but I mean, the man said it out of his own mouth. 
and it's long been under it's long been known that 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 the black Jews are treated a little bit differently there in, in, in Israel. And I'm not saying it's the reason, but could it be that the Europeans don't want to take the Jews because a lot of the black Jews would come with them? Or for that matter, maybe America doesn't want to take the Jews in Israel because a lot of black Jews would come with them. See, because what they never show you in the American mainstream media is just how many black Jews live there in Israel. Our image, our, our, our idea of, of, of the Jews in Israel is a very European Jew-dominated image. What about the Jews from Ethiopia that live there? What about the Jews from Algeria? What about the Jews from Morocco? What about the Jews from, uh, uh, you know, uh, other places in, North, in, in Libya? There are a bunch of Northeastern African countries that had Jews that returned to Israel, and they live there now, probably a million or more. Maybe two, three million, actually. I mean, it's hard to really know, right? But I think there's probably somewhat around two, three million Jews that come from African origins. And my point is, you know, why can't we evacuate the Jews? And let, let's talk long term, Ben. Let's talk long term. What war strategy, what war initiative is going to quell the threat of radical Islam to the point where the state of Israel will ever be safe or secure from its neighboring enemies. And if the worst happens, if the worst happens and the entire Arab or Muslim world rises up in this, in this ideologically driven effort to, to kill and slaughter and defeat and wipe out the entire state of Israel, what is America going to do about it? I mean, honestly, what do we plan to do about it? We're going to what? bomb the entire country of Iran, 90 million people? I mean, you start to sound like you're promoting genocide. All of you. All of you sound like fucking psychopaths. You people are so intemperate. You people have, have no restraint. You have no, no real sense of, 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 uh, of, of basic humanity. You were never meant to lead. You, you, don't have the, you guys don't have the temperament of leaders, of real leadership. Yeah, there's war, there's skirmishes, there, there's conflicts that break out. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Everybody understands that. That doesn't give you the green light to just do as much mass, mass uh, uh, carnage and, and destruction as humanly possible. What part of this is going to restore balance and order and, 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 and restraint and, 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 and diplomacy and reassurance to that region? Nothing. That's why the Nikki Haley's and the and the and the uh, and the uh, the Lindsey Graham's and Crenshaw and all these other neocons are openly saying a war to end all wars. This war leads to Iran. Unconditional support for Israel. No, we should support Israel. Israel has a right to exist. They have a right to fight for their own freedom and to to exist to fight for contested territory. Absolutely, we fought a war here right, against Mexico for contested territory. And if Mexico wants, Mexico has the right to fight us back to this day for that contested territory. I don't think they'd be successful, but they have a right to try. I mean, it's not really about a right at that point. I mean, why do we think that we can adjudicate and govern people's free will? We can't. You can't govern and, 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 and create, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, create law about people's free will. You can create law about the, the consequences, 
Sure. But are we willing to allow the consequences for people to try and 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 um, challenge and contest the the status quo of power? Are we willing to 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 defame and defile our own spirit, our own soul, by reacting with with complete and utter annihilation of of complete uh, of of whole groups of people? And part of the reason I did this special episode today is because I saw you know Ben Shapiro and Mark Levin were going to premiere a show at uh, eight p.m. on on. Uh, I just became aware that Mark Levin is is one of the you know one of the most prominent conservative voices in the in the entire American culture. Blow blew my fucking mind. It absolutely blew my fucking mind that Mark Levin is taken seriously. And I'm not saying that he doesn't say some things that are true, but he's going to show us colors here tonight with Ben Shapiro. He's going to call all of us out there who question the legitimacy of this coming military conflict and and war effort and and war machine. And, and warmongering military industrial complex, D.C. elite shills, they're going to call all of us crazy, extremists, disloyal, anti-patriotic, anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic, and that's why I'm going to have my good friend, one of my best friends in the world, a man who's a mentor and like a, a, a father to me, the great Professor Penn, talk about it from his own perspective as a Jew. And guess what? They'll still say that he's a self-hating Jew or self-loathing Jew, or they'll say that, you know, he's, you know, anti-Semitic. I mean, they'll just come out and call Jewish people anti-Semitic. What about the black hats there in Israel who say that Israel is illegitimate on, on a holy basis? And again, I take you back to the early history that, that Israel claimed, Israel's claim to that land is based on a, a, a holy context. But it was done by people who absolutely and unequivocally rejected God. So there is some illegitimacy to that. And, and the more religious, faithful, uh, black hat Jews there in Israel have been saying that for a long time. That's not my call to make. I mean, that's for God to decide. I, I don't want to dare to, to involve myself in, 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 in matters of the supernatural at that level. It's not for me to decide whether the state of Israel is legitimate or not. I mean, the, you know, with all respect to the black hat Jews, there's a level of arrogance in that that's, that's somewhat alarming. Pump your brakes. Relax. Relax. I mean, you know, that's, that's a tall order. And all of us make the mistake in these times of, of using the Bible or using the Torah or using the Quran as a, as a means and way to justify our own imperfections, our own imperfect impulses. Pump your brakes. Slow to violence in the name of God. Let's be slow to violence in the name of God because you run the risk of using the Lord's name in vain. And I think there are a lot of Muslims using the Lord's name in vain. And I think there were a lot of Zionists who used the Lord's name in vain. And I think there were a lot of early American settlers and slave owners that used the Lord's name in vain. And I think there's a lot of Christians, 501c3 Christians, using the Lord's name in vain today. A lot of people using the Lord's name in vain. And oh, the time for, for judgment may be near, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know when the great judgment's going to come. For each of us individuals, it's going to come on the day you stop breathing. I'll tell you that. Your judgment's coming regardless. The, the, the great judgment, the great revelation, I, nobody knows the time or the place when Christ is going to return. But your individual judgment, 
will happen on your individual day of atonement. And none of us know when that day could be. That could be on your way uh, to work in the morning. You know, car runs a red light, blasts your car into a thousand pieces and you with it. Hey, day of atonement's here, buddy. What'd you do? And you know, some of these people don't believe in God anyway. And not only some of these people who are openly atheist or secular or, you know, anti-human or, or transhuman, not only them, some of these people who profess a, a, a profound and devout faith practice don't really, don't really act like they believe in God either. I mean, let's just be honest. No sacred honor. No sacred honor. And their level of judgment is so harsh. I mean, we've become so judgmental as a culture, haven't we? In general. See, I'm I'm not here to judge judge you judge you on your moral moral basis on a moral basis, really. I mean, not in that little ticky tack picky sense, you know, like they want to do Donald Trump. Oh, Donald Trump, how can he be a Christian? He was this or he was that. Blah 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 blah. blah. You know, who's all in for a nuclear war? Let's start there. Who's pro nuclear war? Raise your hand if you're pro nuclear war. And you want the uh, the the um, you you would you would like or you're you're okay with seeing um, the instant incineration of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. Raise your hand. I have great. Co- we'll start with questioning the morality of you, motherfuckers, and then we'll work our way back. We'll work our way all the way back to the everyday common citizen who you know doesn't say their hail marys, for example or doesn't keep the Sabbath holy, or, or you know, doesn't pray five times a day, or whatever the case may be. Who's all in for a, a, a genocidal, psychopathic nuclear war where nobody really even knows or can tell me what it's about? Show me. Raise your hands. You people's morality, I have great, 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 great comfort in judging. Honestly, this leads to nuclear war, and they all know it. They all know it leads to nuclear war. I mean, and part of you just starts to think, are they pushing us to a nuclear war on purpose? QE Bono, who benefits? War, who benefits? Nuclear war, who benefits? Am I saying Ben Shapiro and Mark Levin want nuclear war? No. Are they useful idiots in the agenda? Possibly. Seems very easy to play on their emotions, doesn't it? You bring Israel into the mix and people just lose their fucking minds. Why? Because the Israel-Palestine conflict is the hottest button there is in our entire human civilization. There is not a political issue that is more charged than Israel and Palestine. I mean, it's right at the root of the entire global political narrative. And that wasn't an accident, in my opinion. United Nations, Security Council, the Insecurity Council. Am I saying Israel's to blame? No. Am I saying the Jews have been used? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Jews have been used. Americans have been used. Black people have been used. Muslims have been used. The Chinese people have been used. The Russians have been used. 
The Saudis have been used. Everybody's getting used. Everybody's getting played. And we have no leadership that can stand up right now and just say, hang on a second. Hang on a second. And I get it. Bullets are flying. We're in the fog of war. And that's part of the danger of the fog of war. But we can't, we can't respond off of impulse and emotion. Any other time, any of these people, I mean, I just, I just find it funny that your Ben Shapiro's of the world are the, the famous proclaimers of, 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 of facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings until it's Israel. And then the facts are impacted by your feelings. Because the fact is, we have not won a ground war in Asia in the last 60 years. We have not won a ground war on the Eurasian landmass in many years, since the Korean War. I mean, and even that, right? I mean, North Korea still threatened to put a nuclear bomb up the ass of, of, of the West Coast. So, I mean, you know, did we win the Cold War? I don't know. I mean, it certainly would seem that there was a great pause to the Cold War. There was a great pause to the Korean War, but all, ca all, all checks are going to be, all, all balances are going to come due now, aren't they? Questions. Do you even feel empowered as a citizen to ask these questions of your government and the international agencies that govern over you? Do you even feel empowered culturally to question the narrative? I can't tell you how many knee-jerk responses I see. If you don't want to support Israel, then you, then, then you support Hamas. Or if you don't want to support Palestine, then you're a Zionist. Well, fuck yourself. You can't tell me what I think. I'm the hatchet man, motherfuckers. I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that type of, I don't have that type of self-doubt. I'm not plagued by that self-doubt, that herd sheep mentality. I'll tell you what I think. Right now, I'm watching, I'm listening. I'm doing it with great somber and sorrow for the people I see losing their lives. And if you talk about this in comments and in, in, this, in this sort of hyperbolic vacuum and you're not actually tuning in and seeing the bodies, yeah, seeing the bodies of the Israelis that were attacked, but also seeing the bodies of those Palestinians, those children, those women, those dead children, those dead children, in, 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 the, the dead children from Israel, if you're not tuning in and seeing that and having some real, some real emotion of, of, of somber and sorrow, you need to check the fuck in with yourself. You know, I'm not your father, I'm not your therapist, but let me be your uncle. Slow the fuck down. Slow down. Slow down, take a moment. Let's, let's gather ourselves here. And ultimately, hey, what, what I'm saying is I'm actually saying in futility because we don't have the levers of power. Now, hopefully Speaker Jim Jordan can use the speakership to... Help us gather ourselves as a nation. That would be good. We hope, we hope he can do that. We hope Matt Gates and some of the other people in the Congress can, can help us gather ourselves around our foreign policy and this conflict and, and many other conflicts that are going on right now, particularly the war with Russia and, and the Ukraine. Hopefully that can happen. I'm not holding my breath, you know, because once the drums of war have sounded, they're on. Once the drums of war sound, they're on, and they're on right now. And, you know, they plan to, to flatten Gaza, right? 
Nikki Haley. Finish him. Finish who? Every man, woman, and child in Palestine? I mean, what, what level are we willing to go to here? What level is Israel willing to go to? What level were we, were we willing to go to uh, in, in Iraq? How many children did we kill in Iraq? I'll wait. Go find the numbers. How many people did we kill in Iraq? How many of them were women or children? And you can tell me that, you know, the, the, the radical Muslims are using, uh, you know, uh, women and children as, as shields. You, you can tell me that. And that is a tough conundrum to be in. Absolutely. And part of the responsibility is on the Muslim world to throw off this radical form of, of, of Islam within their own communities. But part of that takes them to, to make the decision uh, or, or to be comfortable with killing as well. And, you know, the, again, the narrative about, about Islam not being a peaceful religion and this attack as a symbol of, of Islam not being a peaceful, peaceful religion, I, I think I'm going to call bullshit here as well. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, saying the Muslims are coming is a great way to get white suburban folks on, back on board with the military-industrial complex. And, and again, I'm not caping up for the Muslims. I'm not saying that I'm a Christian. I don't agree with their ideology. I certainly don't agree with their faith practice, um, and I certainly don't agree with any any strange, perverted uh, manifestations of 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 God fearing faith practice that would have you kill innocents and think you're going to get rewarded. You're a fucking psychopath. I'm just telling you, psycho. Um, but but let's be let's be let's be grownups here, okay? Like the Day of Rage, for example. Yeah, I took my kids out of the school because I know the schools won't protect my children in 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 the in the event of a crisis. But the Second Amendment's going to protect me, for sure. And I think everybody should heed the importance of the Second Amendment right about now as we're on the brink of world war. We're on the brink of world war with radical people, with radical ideologies that have actually infiltrated our country in a border that was left wide open by the Democrats and the rest of the Uniparty. I think your Second Amendment rights are going to come in handy right about now. But respectfully. On a worldwide basis, if Islam was as violent as they claim, as they want to fear monger you into so they can justify a, a, a military industrial complex. If Islam was really that violent. We would all, we would have already lost. Obviously, on mass, a billion Muslims don't carry that 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 need for violence. They don't carry that that willingness to do violence. Look at Indonesia. Look at Turkey. Look at all the other Muslim countries around the world. I'm not saying that there isn't violence in Muslim countries. Look up, you look at Europe. And yeah, Europe's having some big problems right now. But they have a lot of Muslims in Europe. I mean, you can see by the protests. And if the Muslims were really that violent, they would have been having problems already. It wouldn't have taken no, 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 no match to, no, no spark to, to light the flame. Uh, uh, of of in this Israel and Palestine conflict. They'd have been knocking on the doors of power there in Europe the entire time if they were really radical like that, right? I mean, when you're really radical the way that Fox News wants them, you to believe they are, they don't need an excuse. 
And the real radical Muslims, the terrorist type Muslims, they don't need an excuse. I mean, they don't need a reason to do it. They're just going to do it off of principle, off their own perverted sense of principle. So I'm calling bullshit. You know, don't fear monger me. Don't, don't, don't tell me, you know, you white, it's the same, the same thing the white liberal women tell me is the same thing the cut conservatives of the, of the military industrial complex want to tell me now. The white liberal woman wants to tell me the KKK is on the loose. And then they want to tell me the cops are the KKK. And then they want to tell me to call the cops when the KKK come. No, I think I'm going to keep a, I think I'm going to keep a, a semi-automatic shotgun with, with 14 plus two. With some slugs in there. That's, that's what I think I'm going to do. And that way I can deal with the KKK or I can deal with a radical Islamist or I can deal with uh, deep state FBI, CIA, uh, Mercs or, or whoever the fuck else decides to come knocking. And yeah, you know, the better skill, the better skill killer they send, the less likely I am to survive the encounter. Well, we all got to die sometime, right? But there's a difference in dying in defense of yourself and dying in the, 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 uh, the escalation of mutually assured destruction. There's a difference between me being in my home with a shotgun and, and defending myself against people who come in my home, like Israel did when Hamas invaded, um, and then carpet bombing or, or just airstriking indiscriminately in, in Gaza. And the same goes for Hamas. You know, the same goes for Islam. There's a difference between protecting your territory and your ability to practice your faith and, and then going and being offensive and aggressive and, and uh, terroristic or psychotic uh, in, in your pursuits for liberation or freedom. I mean, you know, people are out of control. I just want to be a voice of reason. Vox Populi, I think the majority of people don't want to be involved, don't want to be... be um, victim to or casualties in, in these wars, uh, whether it be physically and, and actually have violence or harm done to them physically or economically or even more important, spiritually. People don't want to be morally or, or, or spiritually culpable for the decisions of their leaders who have lost all sense and touch with reality. Sure, let's support Israel. Let's support Israel by offering, the, the, by offering up that, that the Jews, as many Jews as would like, can come to America, documented, come to America, and the other Jewish elite here in America can help fund and facilitate that, that migration. What an honorable thing to do with, your, with, your, with your, treasure, your treasure chest. How many wealthy Jewish elite are willing to put up their own money, their own, their own, um, their own assets, their own liquid cash to help bring Jews to America? I mean, why are we leaving the Jews there in the Middle East if they're surrounded by their enemies? Aren't we just waiting for the, the shit to hit the fan anyway? I mean, my 10-year-old daughter can look at the early map of Israel and go, why do you mix these people up like this? What's going on? What, what, what kind of scam is this? I mean, I think we all need to take a step back and, and, and not be so married to our choices or not be so uh, married to our, our prejudgments about, about uh, the way the world has unfolded or the way that the world is laid out now to try and find solutions. And if that makes me anti-Semitic, or if that makes me anti-Muslim, or if that makes me anti-American, if that makes me anti-anything, I guess I wear it as a badge of honor. Because it's better than you motherfuckers' solution. You motherfuckers want to go to a nuclear war. 
And I'm not saying we're not going to have to fight a war. The Chinese are going to get ready. They're getting ready for a war. National security is their new focus. What I'm saying is if we're going to have to fight a war, let's be sure about who we're fighting, when we're fighting, where we're fighting, what's the path to victory, and let's be sure there's not a leak in our own boat, a self-inflicted wound, a self-inflicted leak in our own boat. Solution number one, stop letting these climate freaks tell us we can't pump oil to save the planet and the same political faction, the same political cohort want to go to nuclear war. Pump the oil, stop buying products from the Chinese. In six to 12 months, the American economy will be in a completely different position. We won't be compromised by Chinese supply chains. We won't be sending money to the Chinese that eventually make its way to Iran, that end up feeding Hamas, that, that bomb Israel or attack Israel. Now we got to go in and spend more time, money, resources, eventually sons and daughters, promises, more political capital, more moral culpability on a fight that we can't win as long as we're the ones helping produce the conflict. The shit seems basic to me. How about you? Feel free to drop a comment. This is the Sunday special ad-free episode. War. Who benefits? Episode 113. 113 of Please Call Me Crazy. Another episode brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. Our thoughts and prayers are with everybody there in Israel. Our thoughts and prayers are with everybody there in Palestine as this conflict continues to unfold, especially the women and the children and the innocent and the elderly and the babies on life support and hospitals that everybody seems to forget about in their rage and their, in their, in their self-righteous indignation. Everybody in the surrounding region that's now going to be affected by this outgrowth of, of conflict. Our brothers and sisters there in Europe who are in the firing line, who are in the, who are in the shooting gallery, uh, you know, greatly to, to, to be at the behest of or because of the, their own political elites and their incompetence, their ignorance, their negligence. Everybody here in America, the countless mothers and fathers and families that continue to lose sons and daughters and loved ones, friends, family, wives, husbands, to the, the growing drug crisis of, of fentanyl and whatever other drug we're letting across the southern border. The countless people who are affected by the, the growing number, uh, the, the, the growing amount of violent crime in, in our major cities, in the black communities, the mothers and fathers that continue to have to bury children, young children, teenagers, who are caught in the crossfire of violent, needless, senseless violence in our communities, in our black communities. My thoughts and prayers are with many, many all around the world today. Don't let them tell you that anything that we talk about over here on the America First or MAGA side, the Donald Trump supporters are the extremists, are the danger and threat to democracy and freedom. And I'll quote the great Donald Trump at the CNN town hall. We just want the death to stop. We want people to stop dying. We want the war to end. We are an anti-war movement. We have become the anti-war movement.
Go figure. Go figure the entire liberal mainstream media industrial complex will tell you that we are the greatest threat to freedom and democracy. And right now we are the only anti-war political movement in the mainstream, in the mainstream culture. And we have become mainstream. And that's a testament to you out there in the war room posse. That's a testament to you out there all across the country. Who are MAGA, who support Donald Trump who support nationalism and nationalist populism, who love your American identity, who want to have a country with borders and citizenship that has value, that isn't sold out by their elites. You have become the anti-war movement. Stand your ground. Do not let them play on your emotions. Do not let them play on your prejudgments, on your affiliations on your former allegiances to co-opt you into a pro-war initiative. If we must go to war, if we have to go to war, we better be very careful. We better be very careful about when and where and why we choose to do it right now in America because we are vulnerable. Not only are we vulnerable to defeat, but we are vulnerable to wicked, malicious people from within the wire. We appreciate your viewership and your listenership today and in the future. The fight continues, and as always, Godspeed.